consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. Ugly Duckling Oboes is dedicated to the development of young oboe players. They provide quality handmade oboe reeds, private lessons, and high-quality oboe sales, rentals, and consignments. The oboes that they rent are conservatory mechanism oboes that include the left-hand F key and low B-flat key. All are maintained by oboe-specific technicians. In-person lessons are available as well as virtual lessons for students who live outside the geographic area or have transportation and scheduling challenges. They also offer online college audition coaching for high school juniors and seniors who plan to audition to be music majors. Visit UglyDucklingOboes.com for more details on how you can set up yourself for success and sign up for their newsletter. That's UglyDucklingOboes.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. Hey, girl. How's it going? We're on break. I'm not on break. (laughs) Let the record show we are on two different schedules. Yours is a week ahead of mine. So you're on break. I am in finals week. Like, not to be like, okay, let me get out the world's tiniest violin and throw a pity party. (laughs) But this semester was... A bit more rigorous than usual because I was doing uh, one and a half sabbatical replacements. So I took on an extra class because one of my theory colleagues was on sabbatical. So I was working in overload at WSU and I did a sabbatical replacement for Javier Rodriguez at the University of Idaho. I don't know if the listeners know, but Washington State University and the University of Idaho are literally like 10 miles apart. It's like they're in different states, they're different campuses, but they're very close. Um, so all of that was like fun and wonderful, but it made for a very uh, just more demanding fall semester than usual. <laughs> I love that the tone of your voice just went higher. Diplomatic, you know. Um, but what I've been doing is like as soon as something's complete, like as soon as juries are complete, it's like, okay, let's get those submitted. As soon as Idaho juries were complete. All right, let's get those submitted. As yes. soon as like this class is done. All right, grade, 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 because I want this. <laughs> to, I'm not taking my time submitting grades. I want to be on break as early as humanly possible, which I'm thinking will be tomorrow afternoon. I'm, I've already been there. I've been working my way through Snooky and Wow on my couch with my computer on my lap texting you the entire time that's right (laughs) but at least you're not having to contend with for me the biggest bummer about having to go to work this time of year is it's snowing like it's snowing as i speak it's just snow all the time chris and i at this point in time do not have a garage so every time you want to go somewhere it's like okay in a half hour i can leave after i scrape all the (laughs) snow off of the windshield and all that type of stuff so oh yeah she just showed me her cell phone it says 73 degrees in Hattiesburg what is it in Pullman (laughs) Um, yes 28 degrees and snow forecasted for the next hour yeah well that's not what we're dishing about we're not dishing about how tired we are okay well I would like to (laughs) This is not the I'm Tired podcast. I have more complaining to do. (laughs) Everyone tell me I'm doing a good job and I'm trying my hardest. (laughs) I need external validation. 
Congratulations. <laughs> oh, before we get to the dish topic, uh, mm-hmm. I did want to say the interview with Leslie Odom, I'm really sick. Like, I don't think we oh, recorded yeah. a dish at the height of my sickness. I got about as sick as I have in like four or five years. Yeah, so my voice sick. sounds wacky. Um, but I'm feeling fine now, but I was listening back to it editing and I'm like, so Leslie, (laughs) how's the elbow? (laughs) She would periodically leave the screen to blow her nose. Go have a coughing fit. Yeah. It was not good. I was tremendously sick, but I'm feeling wonderful now. So, (laughs) so I thought it'd be fun to do a little, uh, Christmas icebreaker but double read version so i found a random website that has a list of christmas icebreakers because we all know that family gatherings can be a little awkward and sometimes you need a little help making conversation okay so these are icebreaker questions if you find yourself but we're going to do them double read style so instead of like being in an awkward room with family you don't maybe see all that often it'll be like post gig miss hang how do you make conversation with those mm-hmm. other people double read style? Yes. Which will definitely make you the most popular person at the party. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> okay. We're here to help you. Great. Okay. Give the people what they need. Okay. What is the best or worst double read present you've ever received? Ooh, do we get to answer these too? Yeah. I want you to answer it. Okay. So I had a non-traditional student in Iowa City, and I mentioned briefly, we were looking for a fingering, and I was like, oh, there's this like big red book of fingerings, and I've never been able to find it. I just said it in passing. And then like seven months later, he brings it to me as it's, bassoonists know it, it's the big book of fingerings. Um, who is it? Someone's screaming at the computer right now. Essentials of Bassoon Technique, Cooper and Toplansky. And it's just like 700 pages of bassoon fingerings, trills, uh, tremolos, It and there's even room to write in your own. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't, I've always wanted that, but I can't find it. And he showed up and it was like, not only did I really want that gift, but it was like that thoughtful thing where you say something in passing and someone makes it a point to write it down and then seek out this, at least for me at the time, it was a hard to find item. Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. And um, the worst gift <laughs> to um, have a horrible attitude and look a gift giver in the mouth. <laughs> People, double your dish listeners. Your teachers do not want wire figures playing their <laughs> instruments. I'm here to tell you, they do not want the wire figurine oboe or bassoon. And I don't know how many I own at this point. I love my students so much. They're so wonderful. I would honestly rather they save that money and take themselves out for a latte. Love you. Ungrateful. I know. But those are the worst <laughs> gifts. What about you, Billy? So, um... Back in 2018, I had, so pre-COVID, I did like a annual holiday oboe studio hang at my house, which um, I have to start back up again. The problem is right now I have too many dogs at my house. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we had this like studio hang. It was so much fun. And we did like a, like a gift game, like a white elephant gift game. Mm -hmm. And Ashley brought not as part of the game but she brought me a gift and it was this gorgeous watercolor of an oboe and she even made uh she made the detail of you know how loray royales have that on the bell they have like a an oval metal plate Mm -hmm. that says loray on it or royale or so i can't remember um she wrote countess on that little with a little crown and it was I mean it is I'm looking at it right now it's stunning and it if you are a member of uh, IDRS and you receive the double read journal you've seen a painting inspired by this painting called Greenbow it was the cover of one of the journals a couple of years ago because it's just so stunning she's such a stunning visual artist and so that was the best painting I've best painting that was the best gift I've ever received it was so thoughtful and gorgeous and just like 
you know, every time I look at it, I want to cry. <laughs> and I would say that the worst gift I've ever gotten is no gift. Oh, you're not going to be tacky like me and criticize gifts that people <laughs> gave in love. <laughs> Good call. Okay, what's next? Okay. Which holiday gig tune do you listen to over and over again? Sleigh Ride. Yeah, me too. I love Sleigh Ride. It's like legitimately quite good. I like playing it. I like listening to it. I also have a love for the 12 Days of Christmas, which I know that's an irritating song. Like I acknowledge (laughs) it's an irritating, repetitive song, but I'm always like, ooh, fun. (laughs) 12 Days of Christmas. I love that one. What's the best double read gift you've ever given someone? (gasps) I do have an answer for this. And um, first of all, the thing you need to know about me is that gift giving is a competitive sport in which the objective is to make a human cry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we're friends. Secret Santa is a competition. You can win it. And I do win it. I am victorious. Um, So... (laughs) Um, when I graduated from my doctorate, I got my teacher, Benjamin, a large, I actually don't know how to say this word. Someone's going to scream at the podcast. Is it jiggly or jikely? It's an artistic medium. It's like, just like you would have watercolor or screen printing or that type of thing. It's, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but, um, there's this artist based in the Pacific Northwest who does, let's just say artistic renderings of musical instruments and they're beautiful it looks like calligraphy and there's like swirling notes around it and every year in spokane there is an art fest in the park and i remember walking past her uh stand and always being like oh my god like look there's the bassoon there's the trombone they're like she has every instrument and so when i was uh approaching graduation i figured out who this artist was and got a hold of her and commissioned one of her bassoons and got it framed for benjamin and it still hangs in his office to this day that is competitive gift giving at its finest Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, for me, the best is yet to come because I actually have uh, a gift for you that I need to mail. Oh, my goodness. I feel I so know. special. I know. And I'm a terrible gift giver. Like, <laughs> gifts are not my love language. That's true. <laughs> I love receiving them, but I'm horrible at giving them. But this, but I'm like the kind of gift giver where if I see something random, like in three months, that reminds me of you, I'll buy it for you and then give it to you the next time I see you. That is true. It's funny because you're a less consistent gift giver. Correct. But when you give one, it's with authenticity and sincerity. That's true. And when I give a gift, which I do regularly... It is, yet again, for external validation so that someone tells me I'm a thoughtful gift giver. <laughs> Exposed. Um, what is one thing you are most grateful for this holiday season? I am grateful for friends and a support system who are like family. Yeah, just I, I find myself, especially over the past couple of years since moving to Pullman, Uh, As we approach Meg Quigley, as you and I reflect on six years, there's just been a lot to remind me that I have this wonderful network of people locally and nationally who love me and support me and are cheering me on. And that that is, God, I got all corny. Uh, (laughs) That I have a lot of love and a lot of people who love me. And that's what I'm grateful for in this holiday season. (laughs) what about you she's so uncomfortable being sincere i am grateful for my health and the health of the people that i love um i am grateful for having a life that i never thought that i would have in a career that i always thought was impossible And I'm grateful for all of the people in it who make it so fulfilling. And we're grateful for you listeners. And I'm grateful for Brick. And Jammies. And reality TV. (laughs) 
Hey, oboists! Have you ever found it difficult to sort out when and how to find a new oboe or English horn? Oboe Chicago streamlines the process, providing personal and professional consultation and a large selection of lovely instruments. The process feels comfortable and thorough. Selection includes Effleurie of Paris, Howarth of London, Covey Oboes, and Fox Products. For a current listing of Oboe Chicago's selection, please visit www.oboechicago.com. For a credit of $100 towards shipping, mention Double Reed Dish when you call or email Shauna. That's oboechicago.com. Chemical City Double Reeds is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at www.chemicalcityreads.com. We are so excited to finally welcome to Double Read Dish, friend of the podcast, our beloved Dr. Leslie Odom, who recently, this month, is retiring from the University of Florida, where she has served as Associate Professor of Oboe and Music Theory. Leslie, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. It's great to catch up with you guys and see you guys again. It's been too long. Always, always too long. <laughs> yes. So um, can we hear how you began your journey on the oboe? How did you come to this instrument in the first place? Well, my mother made me play it. Um, <laughs> that's all there is to it. Um, I started piano at five years old. And she, my mother was a musician as well. And my grandmother was... Um, well, she had she played piano very well, um, so she had the musical background. Um, so my mom noticed that I was just a little different. I don't want to say odd, but different. And um, I am the youngest of three, and so my sister plays flute. My brother played bassoon, and um, mom just threw oboe at me, and there it was. So in fifth grade, I started oboe and taking lessons right away. Um, and uh, amazingly, I started on a Luray. That was my first instrument. None of those, oh. those, you know, student models. And I think that's, you know, I was lucky to have a mother who knew what she was doing. Um, so some guy needed money and he was selling his Luray and mom and dad bought it for me. And the rest is history pretty much. Um, so I was lucky, very, very lucky with that and took that first semester off of, you know, grade school band, fifth grade band and just took lessons and then went in. So I've kind of been at an advantage the whole time um, with that. And, you know, having a mother know what oh, the worst thing she did was to yell down the hall, those aren't your scales. And I think, hmm, why can't she just, you know, not do that? But, oh well. <laughs> yeah, good and bad. When did you decide that the oboe was going to be your profession? I think I just always knew. Um, it was more what I was going to do with it than what I was going to do. It was just something that came so easily. And it was like, why am I, why am I going to have to work hard? And the other option would be a math, math oriented person or something like that. And it was just like, nah, let's stick with oboe. Mm -hmm. um, I did at one time want want to do be a, a, like a studio musician, you know, do recordings and stuff. Um, but and then I thought about an orchestral um, career as well, don't we all? And then I started hearing these terrible numbers about, you know, there was one per, one position open and 300 oboes show up for it. And I thought, I don't, I don't like those odds. I don't want to do that. So I kind of switched gears and went into, you know, thinking academia. And then my mother, who was a... Um, 
middle school, well, not middle school, K through eight general music teacher in our town in Indiana. And um, I would go to her school to catch a ride um, after high school. And I saw what she went through with those, um, those that age. And I thought, nope, not anything lower than college, not going to do it, no way. And that, so that kind of, you know, all those experiences got me to where I am today, literally, where it was going to be a college teaching job. Um, and um, so that's that's what happened. So we normally at this point ask about your training and educational journey, um, but I would love to kind of go out of order for a second and ask what, what do you love about college teaching? Oh, well, I just love seeing the light bulbs going on. And I think you see that in all ages, but to see, to have students who can really do what you're asking them to do and to challenge them um, is just really, really rewarding. I still, you know, up until my retirement, I've had a private studio as well. So I've taught from beginners and I love beginners because I feel like I get them started on the right foot right away. So I've taught all the way from sixth grade all the way up to DMA students. And I think it's just teaching overall that just really feeds my soul in some respects. So um, I just, the college kids, well, all of them just, you know, oboes and bassoons are different than everybody else. And they're just a little smarter and a little more sharp and a little more on top of it. And you can have a great time with them and really have a relationship with your students. Um, so that I'm going to miss that with my retirement. It just, you know, that interaction with my students, um, that that's a little hard. But okay, I'm, you know, retiring. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) So now will you tell us about your training and educational journey and how you got to where you are today? Well, um, as I said, I started out on piano and my piano teacher, Mrs. Bancroft, See, I still remember. I was very scared of her at the time. She would have theory, music theory Saturdays, which we would go to her house and have theory class. And I just really, really loved it. So I was kind of ahead of the normal student because I had this background. And then, of course, my mother, who would yell at me and tell me to do my scales instead of whatever else I was doing. Um, So and then my poor father, who was tone deaf. Um, literally, I mean, I, I like to get, I like to think that I got my sense of humor from my father and my music talent from my mother and not the other way around. Um, so, um, just, I did all that, um, and was, you know, mom kept me in, in good instruments and good reads and, and teachers all the way up. Um, even into high school, I started taking from Malcolm Smith, who was principal of the Indianapolis Symphony. Um, and then at that point, after that, I've taken some lessons with um, uh, Ray Still in Chicago, which was four hours one way from Chicago, but or from Indianapolis, and we would drive up there and have a lesson and drive home. Bless my mother. Um, I took from Marion Gibson, who was uh, principal in the Louisville Symphony, uh, Louisville Symphony Orchestra, and that was a two-hour drive the other way. Um, so my mom was right there and being supportive of everything I did. Um, went to Butler University and studied with Malcolm Smith. Um, and then had, you know, some weird, well, I was engaged to some guy and broke up and didn't know what I was doing after undergrad. So I took a year off. It was okay. Um, and 
one of my theory professors at Butler, Kay Hoke, um, was very supportive of me and, and encouraged me to go to the University of Iowa to get a master's in theory. Um, so I went there and um, I did everything up to my thesis and that's when we decided that um, I needed to pursue a different, you know, different situation, a different teacher. Now, in between all this, I had done, I guess, three years at Aspen and one year at Tanglewood that, of course, my mother had to be there. My mom never missed a recital, never missed any of that uh, performance. Um, I wouldn't say it was a helicopter mom because she wasn't necessarily there pushing, but she was definitely there observing and and enjoying my performing because she hated to perform. Mm. Um, so she was living vicariously through me in my performing. Um, so when I was at Aspen one summer, I met Richard Kilmer. And um, at one point, I don't remember, he, he probably remembers because he remembers everything. Um, at one point I was able to play in the top orchestra with him. And I think I sat assistant second or, or no, assistant first with him. And he was impressed. He told me he was impressed with somebody who was just determined not to freak out with what was going on around and the Shostakovich symphony and all that. And so um, when we decided that I needed to change places and get away from Iowa or get out of Iowa, um, I auditioned at Eastman. Uh, Mr. Kilmer remembered me. I played nothing like um, like he remembered me. Um, I had changed a lot and not for the better. Mm -hmm. And so because he knew me and had experienced my enthusiasm at Aspen, he accepted me um, at Eastman to start in January. And what's ironic is Rebecca Henderson, who used to be at UT Austin, had just graduated in December. So he had an opening for a DMA student. I mean, it was just like the planets all lined up right. Yeah. And um, so he accepted me and then we moved there in January. Um, and um, I really consider Mr. Kilmer my savior because my playing was so awful. My sound was awful. My reads were awful. Everything was awful. And he took me and and brought it all back and took it further. So um, I am I can never repay him for what he did for me and um, just he just, and I have no, just words can't express what he means to me. Oh, that's um, so, and then while I was in school, of course, Paige Morgan was there. She graduated in that, that May with her master's. Uh, Nancy Ambrose King was there. Um, and so I had all these wonderful, wonderful um, people to play with and be around. And of course, Eastman's just an experience in itself. Um, so, uh, was there and then, um, when I was looking for a job, there were four jobs open in the country. And of course you guys can relate to that a little bit, you know, um, with your own stories. Um, there were four jobs open, um, Iowa, where I had burned some bridges on the way out of town. Mm -hmm. Um, Ithaca, which Nancy Ambrose King had kind of gotten that sewn up before um here at the university of florida and then at the university of ohio in um athens ohio and uh the only place i heard from was here at the university of florida and interviewed and the rest is history and i've been here 33 plus years um when when they advertised for the job they had five searches going on at the same time, which is crazy. And as you guys know, who've been on search committees, you know, that's a lot of work. They had the same search committee for all five positions. Oh, no. And they did everything. It was just crazy. Wow. Just I crazy. That's wild. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But the position was advertised as oboe slash theory or history. And they had some other 
positions that also were um, theory slash history. So they had some real options and real balancing on what they were getting. Um, so it's uh, just incredible how they came up with with the the people and the positions and all that. But um, yeah, interviewed, got the job, and been here ever since, and love it. Love the University of Florida. Love Gainesville. Um, I am so grateful to be out of the snow, especially right now when there are, there's six feet of snow plus in Buffalo, which I would have to drive through to get home to Indiana. Yes. So, yeah, no thanks. I'm fine right here. <laughs> yep. Can we hear a little bit more about your relationship and experience in music theory, how you felt that that skill set contributed to your professional success and maybe just kind of your philosophy on a diversified skill set in academia? Yep. Um, well, I always have loved theory. I think that if you have a brain for math, then you are going to, that's the same part of your brain that works with theory. And if you are love English, then you're going to love music history. Um, so that's kind of my experience with the students I've had here at, at uh, Florida in my theory class. Um, so I've always had that. And I actually went to Butler and was a theory comp major for a semester. And then when I realized I'd have to compose, I thought, nope, not doing that. And went right into performance and have never looked back. So my sophomore, or my second semester of my freshman year, I became a performance major. Mm -hmm. um, but I always felt that I needed to be as marketable as possible for the future. And um, so that was my intent on getting the master's in theory was that I just wanted to be as marketable as possible. And I really think that for double read players, you need to have as much um, diversity in your whatever you can bring to the job because it really will make you look, um, get you your foot in the door for the interviews and then the departments need as much as they can you know, do to get as many um, duties or jobs done with one person. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my intention all, all along was to just be marketable and get that master's in theory. And then my doctorate is in oboe performance. Mm -hmm. um, if I can just really recommend to folks that if you have the opportunity and the ability and interest in an academic area, whatever it is, um, to pursue that at some point, even if it's a secondary concentration or um, a master's degree in the way to a doctorate, something like that, I think that just um, will put your resume at the top of the stack when people are looking for, for um, people to fit, you know, to hire at the college level. Um, we've seen, I've seen a lot of people who do chamber music as, as kind of their secondary area. And I think that's great. But I, again, if you can do an academic area, I think it just, it puts you kind of head and shoulders above just the players. And let's be honest that your first job is not usually going to be at, Cleveland or Eastman or Northwestern or, you know, somewhere huge, it's going to be somewhere um, where you're going to have to do other things. And, and so just to have that training and that background and that other thing is just going to be really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. So my job here, just to kind of give you an idea, um, is oboe professor. I teach the class you love to hate, which is sophomore music theory. Um, and I'm grad coordinator. So I do all the grad business, um, which includes advising and writing petitions and um, thumping grad students on the head when they've screwed up and forgotten to register. Um, 
and making sure they get out of here, you know, doing graduation checks and things like that. Um, there's peak times for that. It's not a, you know, all through the semester kind of thing. Um, I also oversee recital attendance. Um, so I am keeping track of the undergrads who are, you know, slackers or not and doing, going to their assigned recitals, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I'm finding in my work trying to get out of here to retire that it's taking, um, about five or more people to do everything that I do. And my boss is not happy with me. And there are a few other people who are not happy with me retiring, but you got to, you know, when the time comes and you have the opportunity, you really got to jump on it. And, you know, it's really been a torture. I'm kind of, this is a long winded explanation or answer to your question, but I'm on a roll. So let's not stop it. Um, There's never a good time to retire that you are always going to be bringing in freshmen. You're always going to have grad students. You're always going to have that senior who's giving a recital. And I think there's a lot of angst and guilt, you know, on your part on when are you going to step away from the job? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, you've got to do what's best for you. Um, Things just kind of lined up for me. My son, uh, graduated from high school last year. I'm no longer pr- national president of SAI. That um, that ended on August 1st, 1st this year. Not that I'm counting. Oh, no, no, no. At noon, I was done. Um, no, no. Uh, <laughs> my husband was keeping track more than I was, and I was keeping a lot of track. Um <laughs> It's just, it, it's just been really hard. And you don't, when you're doing those audition days before the, you know, audition days in the spring before the coming fall, yeah. you can't say, I'll see you in the fall. If you kind of know that you're going to retire, you have to watch your language and don't make promises that you know, you're not going to keep. It's just really weird. Yeah. And and difficult and heartbreaking in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited about my future. I think we're going to have a great time. I'm going to live to be 110 so that I can torture my son just a little bit longer than normal. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm all set. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Absolutely. Oh, good. I'd love to ask you a follow-up question. Okay. Because... Um, you seem to have a finger on the pulse and every finger plugging every hole in the dam. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and trying Big to correct yourself. Sounds yeah. complicated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not been pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear your perspective on the long view on how this field has evolved um, over your career and what you can predict that we will see in the future. And you can take this in any direction that you'd like. Well, what I've noticed over the years is um, when I was interviewing for jobs, it was okay to have a master's. You were, you were acceptable and competitive with those who had doctorates. Um, But now in the last 10 or 15 years, you have to have a doctorate to even get looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that will just keep going that trend. I, I see a lot of people who are getting the doctorate even that are out there in the market job market looking for a place to go a place to be and i and that's why i say you know you've got to have more more um options more that more abilities to bring to the table than just playing your instrument Mm -hmm. um you want to be different you want to stand out um whatever that may be 
-hmm. And I, everybody's different. Everybody does their, their own thing. And it, you know, mine was always music theory was that second, you know, when the reads didn't work, all of a sudden the theory was fabulous and great fun. And then when the theory didn't make sense, then I would go back to the oboe. So I was, you know, had a foot in both sides, both camps, big time, all the time and didn't care. That was just who I was. Um, so I see a lot of, if you, you don't have to be hardcore theorist or historian or whatever to be marketable. And then a lot of folks, if you don't want to be a hardcore, uh, musicologist, if you have the background to do music appreciation for non-majors, uh -huh. that's a that's a real viable avenue to pursue um, in that regard. Um, doing music theory for non-majors, um, do conducting, uh, anything like that is going to make you marketable, very marketable. Uh -huh. So, and then the biggest thing, man, you got to recruit like crazy. Because there's only so many oboes and bassoons in the world. Yeah. So if you're not a people person, I would recommend you not get into college teaching because you've got to, you've got to be personable and people want, need to want to come and study with you. Yeah. And if you're not, don't go there. Yeah, right. Along these lines, as someone who has served on search committees, what advice can you give our listeners about really any stage of the hiring process in terms of what makes someone stick out and what makes an applicant successful? Well, I think I've seen a lot of resumes that like just almost have too much information on it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like, I really don't want to read this, which sounds terrible. Give me the you know, don't give me too much information. Give me the highlights, the important stuff, and then organize it in such a way that I can really, because I'm looking at tons of applicants, organize it in such a way that I can just glance and really get the highlights of who you are. Uh -huh. um, so if you put, I want to, for me, I always looked at education. Where did you go? What degrees did you get? When did you get them? And have you had jobs, you know, and then your, and then your employment. Um, it concerns me when you've been out for 10 years and you haven't been able to keep a, a, a stable job. I'm going to question that, you know, why haven't you been able to stay in one place for a long time? Um, and then maybe even list your, your, um, Ensembles that you've played for, that's great. Um, and then if you've published, and then if you perform solos and things like that. I mean, try to keep it, I don't know, what's the rule that you guys, I'm always thinking like two to three pages tops, maybe. For a cover letter? For a, for a, for a, a resume. Yeah, I mean, I've seen up to like 20 pages and it's like, no one's going to read that or they're going to miss the stuff you really want them to see right, right. at that link. Yeah, right. So, I mean, keep it within reason. And um, if you have YouTube links, that's really very helpful or some or a CD or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've done several different things, you know, try to get recommendations that from people who can speak to your varied aspects. So if I'm, you know, got a master's in theory and I don't have a reference from a theory person, that's kind of a red flag or not a red flag, but it, you know, that's kind of me going, Hmm, that's not necessarily good. Hmm. So yeah, you've got to remember, like, I know that um, the piano searches here have had over a hundred 150 applicants for one position. So you really need to, to do something with your resume that, and your cover letter that gets to the point because mm -hmm. nobody has time to read every single word from 150 people as terrible as that sounds. That's the reality. Switching gears a little bit. Um, I know that you have uh, recorded music by women composers 
And I would love to hear uh, your suggestions for repertoire uh, that <laughs> maybe are hidden gems or personal favorites that you wish people would program more often. Well, I think all of us know Madeline Dring and that trio, you know, with flute, oboe, and piano. That's like one of my favorites. Um, she's got some solo pieces. I think everything on my CD is just, they're all really just grew on me as I worked on them. Um, I've got a couple pieces, or Madeline Dring has also done, um, I think she's got a trio for oboe bassoon and piano and just, you know, any of that stuff with bassoon and piano, we need to keep doing that because there's safety in numbers and we need to stick together. Um, so I'm always looking for that. Um, I think that, um, there's some other, it, it just, you know, if you start looking for things, uh, you know, doing search for various people. I had a, a second CD kind of in the in the thought process, and uh, I have to admit that my um, CD publisher, whomever the company, they were not happy when I finally said I'm retiring and I'm not doing a second CD because I had I'm on Spotify and I just have so many I have listeners even you know what we're six years later and i still got a huge following and it um and it's kind of like you're what you're you're what <laughs> and i'm like i don't want to work that hard i don't want to do that but um so so i think there's a lot more research a lot more names available out there and I, if you just do some digging you'll find some people Catherine hoover comes to mind um i'm trying to think who else so of course you asked me that question and I go blank. Um, my real forte to be honest is more in, and I think Gayla, we talked about that when you were here um, for our double read day was um, exercise etude books um, for the professional player. Oh yeah. And, Hit us with those. Yeah. So um, when we get settled up in our new place, I am going to hit that again and do this, um, do a major article for the journal of yes. um, stuff for, you know, we need stuff to play to keep yes. us excited. I mean, everybody yes. knows Sparling. Everybody's been through Barrett and a lot of us have been through Gillet. Mm -hmm. We need other things. So I've, um, I've got a whole bin and I, I mean like huge bin, um, that I can barely lift. That's just of methods and exercises that mm. you and I would have a great time that would challenge us and make us think, Ooh, you know? Yeah. I'm so, thinking Boza. I'm thinking Debondu. I'm thinking Wunderer. I'm thinking, uh, even Selner. Even Selner. And, and, you know, um, there's just tons of stuff. And, Ooh. and the other thing is my theory brain goes through when I'm playing. And if I find, um, mistakes or something that's not quite right, then I've kind of made a list of that. So it would be like an annotated bibliography with an errata sheet you know, oh. of suggestions of, of not just where the mistakes are, but what I think sh it should be. Um, I just, can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. I, I have and such I a think of you about eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I think of you every time I, I start thinking about, it, I think I, I owe this to go, you know, to I've got to get this down. Right. No, you owe it to me personally. <laughs> I do. I do. And I will get it published. But that's, I thought, you know, what? A, it, the other thing is when you retire, what are you going to do? Right. Um, because I also retired from this local symphony that I play in. And I just thought, you know, I'm done practicing. They've got oh. Daphnis and Cloy on this next you know, season. I don't want to practice Daphnis and Cloy again. I've been there, done that. I I know how it goes. My fingers remember. I just don't want to do it. So it's like, yeah, no, yeah. we're just going to, no. I don't even know who, that's terrible. I shouldn't admit it. I don't even know who's playing. I've kind of stepped back. Oh, I that's don't phenomenal. Hover. 
you know, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. Um, so I just kind of, you know, it was the right time, obviously, because I'm not crying here going, I'm retiring. I'm there are tears of joy. Totally. Right. Yeah. You're taking your obligations and you're flinging them to the side. I am. And you're and saying so there's openings <laughs> to other people. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've had a wonderful ride and I just, you know, I, I've enjoyed it. I love my students, all of them for 33 plus years. Um, but it's time to kind of go a different, go my own way, I guess. Kind we, of. So we, one of our favorite questions is to ask about favorite performance memory. But since this is so special, this is your retirement month. Would you share with us a favorite teaching memory or a favorite memory from the University of Florida? <laughs> Oh my heavens. <laughs> well, but just a favorite moment is my favorite holiday is Halloween. I had no idea. I know. Yeah. You <laughs> saw my office. Yeah. It was like totally trashed in Halloween garb. But it was year Halloween. round. Yeah. It was Halloween. But when were we there, Jackie? I can't. It was, it was in the spring, was March. It? it was March. Yeah, it was, yeah. March. Yeah, I was in the spring. It was like a total. It was like spider webs and like <laughs> yeah. <tombstones. laughs> what's what's your point? I don't understand. Um, so yeah, so I have um, so I would host a, a school of music Halloween party. Oh my god! Um, every Halloween, and um, I would <laughs> I would give bonus points. For that went towards homework to my sophomore theory class. If they would bring food, bring drink and dress up, they would get three points towards homework. And um, so the uh, response was amazing. Faculty participated. And so I always went as a tritone, <laughs> get it? you know, as a devil. And um, well, sometimes, I mean, I, I've gone as, as Zorro and, um, <laughs> Darth Maul, love Darth Maul. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I've got all sorts of costumes. And then Shannon Lau, my bassoon partner, um, she came as super tonic. <laughs> and um, so we were we we're definitely out of control. But the kids have a great time dressing up and I take pictures. And um, it's just it's great fun to see all the, the crazy like some of I had three kids come as cadences. Um, somebody came as a, <laughs> as a plagal cadence. So they were um, in an uh, angel outfit. And then somebody was an authentic, and I can't remember what that was, but the one was the deceptive cadence came as a devil. Oh, my And then, um, yeah, and then I had kids come as uh, the augmented six chords. Which, of course, are the, you know, French, German and Italian. So they dressed up that way. Um, it, you know, just awesome. And then I had a TA, a theory TA, who was like 6'4 and skin and, skin and bones. And he came in a pink ballerina tutu blow up thing. It, yeah. I mean, just everybody got a little crazy. And, you know, and I always got a sugar rush and... I learned this year that, you know, you can get Oreos and then you can get double stuff Oreos. Now, this is the life skills I'm into. OK, so you have regular Oreos, then double stuff Oreos, and then you have mega stuffed Oreos. And those will put you in a diabetic coma. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're wading through the inside of those Oreos. I had about two and I thought, well, I, you know. They're going to have to roll me out of here. I better stop. So <laughs> but it just, it's awesome. And then you just leave the candy for the squirrels who can get in the building. And Oh boy. Yeah. Well, you got to feed, feed the wildlife, both two-legged and four-legged. <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah, my Halloween parties are, are always, are infamous, infamous. And um, I have an inflatable hearse that I bring for, um, photo ops. And this year I did do it this year. And I also have an, um, uh, a Florida Gator, the old oh, style yeah. one. Oh and yeah. That's an inflatable so that people were getting pictures with that too. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> um, yeah. 
it was awesome. I, I don't know how else to, you know, what else could happen that would be more exciting than that. For sure. <laughs> so it's a double read podcast. So we've got to nerd out about reads for a second. We want to know everything. We want to know what gouging machine do you use? What shape? What staples? Um, Talk to us about, you know, your read habits, advice, findings. Just talk to us about reads for a while, Leslie. (laughs) Pass. I'm retiring. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) I don't have to worry about that crap anymore. Um, Okay. So one thing that I would recommend is... um, I used to go to every double read conference, IDRS conference, wherever, and I would buy a pound of cane, tube cane. And I would just, I would date it, put the date in it, the year, and just put it away. And now I think, I don't know, I think there's a lot of green cane out there. Well, I just go into my stash from like the 90s, which sounds terrible, but, um, you know, which is nicely seasoned cane and it's beautiful and I'll be selling it probably later. <laughs> I'll let you know. On the um, black market. I'll send you some Venmo. I'll do it via Venmo. <laughs> so I mean that was one thing I did a lot. So I didn't really have to keep buying tube cane because I kind of did it every year um at our conferences. Um that was one thing. I also now for me, I didn't go around and try oboes out because if I did, I knew I'd find one that I really liked and I I like the one I have, so why muddy the water so to speak? So until I'm really in the market for an oboe, I don't try any oboes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just don't it's just better not to do that. Um my gouge, I have a Ross gouge that I bought when I was at Eastman. So it's one of the first ones that he did. Wow. And it's, yeah, it's like, you just can't, you, you just can't get those, you know? I mean, it's like early, early, early. That's still on. so special. So yeah, it's a, spe- it's a special one. Um, I do a Caleb minus one shape. Um, and I just love squirrely stash thread. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. just nothing like it. Um, I cannot, uh, and I have to ask you guys, if there's one read thread color you cannot use, I cannot use red. Hot pink. Hot pink? Mm-hmm. Jackie? Yellow for a long time was my nemesis, yellow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we all do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but red, I just, I can't. I just refuse to even tie anything on red because I just mm-hmm. can't. I mean, it's doomed from the beginning. I touch that spool of thread. I'm just like, oh, that's this isn't going to work. Why go there? Um, <laughs> it's being too much of a tritone. Oh my God. Totally. It's a devil. It's a devil. <laughs> and then um, I, I think I do um, the uh, Chudnow tubes. And then the rest is all, you know, hit or miss and praying to the reed gods and hoping that before a recital, the reed fairy comes and visits my reed case and, you know, things like that. But I don't have to worry about that anymore because I'm retiring. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, of all the things, that's one of the the things that we're going to celebrate regularly every month. No more reeds. All right. Would you now regale us with a favorite memory of a past performance? Last year, we did a celebration of John Williams, the orchestra conductor Mm -hmm. here at UF. And for some strange reason, he asked me to help um, be the, um, the talker. Who, the, what do you call that? MC? The MC. Yeah. Um, It was, me and then uh, a, a grad student um, who was an orchestra conductor. So we did music of John Williams and I don't know why, but I just thought I needed to spice it up a little bit. So when they did, um, oh, what is, uh, 
encounters of the third kind or whatever i had one of those inflatables that has the alien and then yes. and and yeah so i walked out and freaked and the the look because that nobody knew except the other mc nobody knew and i walked out and this was like an awards academy awards thing the president of the university the provost <laughs> everybody who was anybody was there and i thought i'm going to be retiring soon who cares so like, i this is out. my moment <laughs> this is my moment so i walk out with this alien with you know where my, it looks like i'm being held by this alien i did that i had um Indiana Odom because they did Indiana Jones and I'm born raised in Indiana. So I came out with a whip and a hat and I was cracking the whip. It was bad. Um, they did Jurassic Park and I came out with a raptor and a sequin top. And my comment was one should always wear sequins when riding one's raptor. And, um, <laughs> and um, it just, it went downhill very quickly from there. Um, you know, and then Harry Potter, I had a witch's outfit. Oh, and then, of course, he ended with Star Wars, and I had my Darth Maul outfit yes. and came out. And then um, he did Star Wars, and I, because I'm just a sick person, came out in a Star Trek captain <laughs> Oh, no. And went, live long and prosper. Did you get booed? No, I didn't get booed, but it was just like, and and my the other MC who was kind of the straight guy was like, uh, that's Star Trek. We're doing Star Wars. I'm like, what? And, and just it was out of control. I had the best time. The best time. <laughs> so I would run off the stage between numbers and go change in the stairwell. <laughs> because that's where all you know, because I didn't have time to go to the dressing room. I had to do it in the stairwell. But you can cut that part out, that whole thing out. But that was so much fun. No, that was um, great. We're keeping it. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. The, and I'm thinking the president's there, and I really don't care. I really <laughs> didn't care. <laughs> the absolute um, freedom. Yeah, academic freedom. Oh and I was yeah, expressing myself absolutely. <laughs> Um, you got to be careful. Do that after you have tenure, I would recommend. Yes. Um, and you've been established so that they can't fire you for losing your mind. Um, I think my favorite performances have always been when I've played the Bach. Um, um, Brandenburg second. Mm. Just because I love that piece. And I love the... Uh, what's the word, you know, where you're sharing, you know, the collaboration between performers because you're really handing things off to the other players and, um, you know, and just there's some great lines in there that, you know, you're, you're counteracting the trumpet um, and just, you know, amazing stuff like that. And the second movement where you're handing off the line to the other person. So I've done that here at UF and I did that at Eastman. And um, that was just, you know, when you say that, I think Brandenburg second. Um, another thing, okay. When I was dating my husband, um, I didn't realize that I scheduled my solo perform faculty recital on super bowl sunday oops oops and he at the time well yeah he was a big nfl fan and here i am he's coming to support me the first time he's ever seen me play he's thinking that you know we're going to go to a classroom and people are going to sit in chairs and they're going to be right there. He doesn't realize this is in a big auditorium and several hundred people are coming. You know, he didn't had, he had no clue what was about to happen. So because it was Super Bowl Sunday and I wanted him to get home, my recital was at four and I decided that I would just go straight through and not take a half time and play the whole thing straight down and no walking off, you know, no walking off for the breaks even then. And we have a carillon that's right outside the auditorium that 
rings on the hour and every 15 minutes. And um, I went the whole time. Thank God I'd really done some endurance training. Um, I was an animal. And I finished my last piece and the carillon went off at five o'clock on the button. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm just like, all right, y'all go. It's Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Getting it done. It was awesome. It was awesome. So yeah, those are, those are some fun times. It's never dull. I told him when we got married, it would never be boring with being married to me. (laughs) This is just what a treat. We're so, so grateful for you to spend the time with us and for us to celebrate your retirement together. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And I can't think of two of the most wonderful people to celebrate with. Can I have that in writing? Yes. Yes. If you need a letter, I will put it in writing. Absolutely. (laughs) Leslie thank you thank you so much it's been such a pleasure thank you for this honor I really love you guys okay um I hope you enjoyed that interview with Leslie Odom obviously you did I'm feeling much better now please like and subscribe and rate on uh itunes <laughs> galit's phone just rang i'm leaving it in i'm leaving it in it was it rang on my computer uh you have to do do not disturb uh, on your computer <laughs> yeah itunes social media you know how it is galit who's on the next episode um on the next episode we feature the wonderful ivy ringle principal bassoon of the indianapolis symphony orchestra jackie Let's end this nerd parade. Go make reads. And have a wonderful holiday. Although we have an episode on the 15th, so there are no holidays between now and... Oh, wait. It's the 15th now! Oh, my God. God. And a happy new year. (laughs)